We have the opportunity this morning to welcome a guest from Columbia. Uh, it, it's a guest from the standpoint of the regularity that we get to hear from Juan Hernandez. Uh, but it is not a guest from the standpoint of he is not new to us. And thankfully, over the last uh, three or four years, we've had the opportunity on numerous occasions to hear from Juan from God's Word. And I'm excited for us to do so this week. But it's also just a reminder that our church, not only in our city, uh, as we are locally focused, regionally deployed as a church, but we are also, also globally engaged as a church. We had the opportunity this last week to host a conference uh, from many nations here, Ukraine, Colombia, uh, Scotland, others that were represented here as we were gathered together, uh, Netherlands, uh, <clears throat> and Africa actually received an email just this morning from our sister, uh, Rachel, that she arrived safely in Nigeria this morning, and we are praising God for that. <clears throat> but there were, we are a church on mission, locally and abroad. And we have the opportunity, even as Danny was just highlighting in our facility, and, and you can see additional details about what's going on with our budget in the journal, which is just outside on the table. But we have the opportunity to host the nations and to bring people together for care and equipping and for mission as well. And so this morning, church, we're not wel welcoming a guest speaker as if he's some sort of hired gun coming into the church and, and accomplishing some work for us. We're welcoming a longtime friend that we have a longtime future with as well. And so would you join me in welcoming Juan this morning? Good morning, church. Uh, I'm a little scared because I'm very clumsy, so I see that, that cop over there, and I'm just thinking, oh my, he might go over there. I'm very clumsy. So if something happens, you have warnings prior to this. <laughs> Receive greetings from the church in Colombia. It's, it's really a privilege for me to be here with you in this, in this morning. Uh, I know you are continuous, so you believe in the gift of tongues, so you will need it this morning so you can understand my poor English, so please pray for that. Um, we are very grateful for you guys. Uh, we are very grateful for the way you are supporting the missions, not just in Orlando, United States, but as Chris was sharing, uh, globally, uh, because of your generosity, not just with your local church, but also with the Grace Partnership. Uh, this week, we were able to bring together uh, with my family uh, I think seven pastors from Colombia who were enjoying the conference, sharing with each other, getting to know brothers from all different countries, countries, and realize that we are the same people going for the same struggles everywhere. So thank you for that. And I will take two minutes, Chris, if you allow me, that you cannot put it on my sermon time because I will need those two minutes on the end. Because I, I was listening to Danny, and, and I was just... Uh, like feeling so identified with him because as a church in Colombia we have been planted for 14 years so we are very young but we face the same situation because in Colombia prosperity gospel is like 99% of the churches so it's, it's very bad so when you start preaching something different you feel afraid to speak about money because people will think oh you are the same guy just with a different way to approach but I believe uh, that after struggling to talk about with the church about money, I felt compelled because he's part of the council of God. 
So it's part of the, what the Bible speaks about, and Jesus himself spoke about money more than any other prophet when, when you refer to Jesus as a prophet. I'm not saying that Jesus is just a prophet. Jesus is God. Amen? But I, I think that the way you give to your local church shows how much you love your local church. So giving to your local church is giving to your family. This is your family, and I cannot tell to my wife and daughters, like, I love you, I'm part of the family, but my money is going other, other way. So I'm sorry, this month uh, I saw these beautiful clothes, I saw this beautiful car, I saw this beautiful whatever, so I cannot give you this month. No, one way that I show them that I love them, that I care for them, that I'm part of the family, is that my money is coming that way. So I, I want to encourage you and even exhort you, even though I, I don't know all of you, that if you are not giving consistently to your local church, you should go before the Lord, review your heart, and think about if you are really having something going on in, inside your heart that is not healthy because where your money goes, your heart goes. So my two minutes, you, you cannot point it on me. Okay. <laughs> Uh, today, this morning, I'm going to a very difficult job in the book of Job. So if you go with me, please, we will be in the book of Job. We will be reading um, chapter 3 of this beautiful book, and we will go all the way through verse 6 on chapter 4. So if, if there is nothing that prevents you, if you could please stand up while we read the word of God, that will be amazing, not because of me but because of the word of God. Job chapter 3. You got it? Say like this. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that say a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the month. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day who are ready to rose up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have known, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves. Or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not as hidden a stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There... The prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. 
Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bittering soul who long for death but it comes not and dig for it more than for hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden whom God has hedged For my sin comes instead of my bread and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but troubles comes. Then Eliphaz, the Timonite, answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet, who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It tells you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Let us pray together, please. Lord, this is not an easy passage. So we ask you in Jesus' name, as we usually do, the intervention of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm, I'm just a man, a sinner. I, I have a lack in so many areas. I'm short, spiritually speaking, physically speaking, intellectually speaking. So we need your help. So I ask you in Jesus' name that you take every imperfect word that may come out of my mouth and take it in a perfect way to every single heart in this room. So your word can bear fruit for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the church to be built up. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So this is a very interesting text. It's very difficult, but you, you can identify two main characters where we were reading. In one side, we have Job, who, if you pay attention to the text, is complaining. Basically, Job is deciding to, he wasn't born at all. But later, he's saying, but, well, if, okay, I was born, so I want to die now. So he's basically complaining because he's going through so many troubles. In the other hand, we have Eliphaz, I don't know if that's the proper way to say it in English, it's even difficult in Spanish, but Eliphaz, the Timonite, is rebuking Job for speaking like that. He's, how can you come like that, to talk like that, Job? I mean, you, you have teached these truths, you have maybe rebuking other people in the past, you are coming to those who are struggling and let them know that God is in control, and now that you are facing troubles, you dismay. So let me ask you, the next question, and I, and I need you to really think about the answer, because the way we answer these questions will totally shape the way we understand our text this morning. Which of the characters is right? What will be your first impression? Who is right? Who, who will be the person that you say maybe you are 
watching this conversation, imagine the conversation between Job and Eliphaz, and you are standing like one meter away from them, and you hear Job saying all these things, and you hear Eliphaz answering back, who would you be with? Like, he's right. What would be your answer? Don't say it out loud, but let me see your face so I can have like a clue where we are going this morning. Which, which guy, which is the guy who is right? Okay. When I did this exercise in my local church in Barranquilla, almost everybody say, because we are Latin, so even I told them, you don't have to say it aloud. Everybody say that aloud. So <laughs> basically, everybody went with Eliphaz. He's right. You are not, this is not the way to talk about God. This is not the way to talk about your life. This is not the way. You are a Christian, so what, what are you saying? But please go with me to the end of the book of Job, chapter 42. And we will see God's perspective. Because it's the only way we can understand this text in a good way. Chapter 42. And please go because I need you to hear it from your Bible. So you can be sure that what I'm going to tell you is the word of God. Chapter 42, verse 7. Do you have it? Let's read it together. Chapter 42, verse 7 through 9 says like this. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Huh? Makes no sense. He's anger at Eliphaz. And he's saying that Eliphaz has spoken Something that is not true. But Job, his servant, has it. Let's continue reading. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourself. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Timonite and Bildad the Shusite and Sophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Hmm. I don't know about you, but doesn't like quite make like my previous understanding of the book of Job. So basically, what we are seeing here is that usually the, the understanding that we have about how to deal with people suffering in the middle of the church is not always right. I don't know how familiar I think you want, but how familiar would you be with the story about the clowns in the 17th century? So I'm pretty sure you are not. But remember that there was a time when Hollywood didn't exist. So we didn't have Hollywood stars. People had clowns stars. So in Europe, there was this clown that was the most well-known clown in Europe. He was the big star. So every king, queen, people in the, in the novelty, they would hire him to be presenting performance, a show before them. Um, this clown named Gavriv, the, the most famous clown in Europe, Gavriv, he was 
very famous, well-known, because he had these abilities, what people used to say, that's what is written in history, that when people were sad, when people were depressed, when people were going through very dark paths in his life, if they have enough money, they would hire Garif, he will perform his show, and people will be laughing at the end. So there is this particular story telling that this doctor attend a guy who was going through a deep depression. And after the doctor tried to various, uh, a, a very different methods, medicine and everything, this guy continued being depressed. So at the end, frustrated, the doctor asked his patient, well, you know, there is nothing else I can do for you, but you seem to have a lot of money. You seem like a wealthy guy, wealthy person. So my advice for you is that you hire Garif, and he will help you out. I think that's the only hope that is remaining for you. So the story tells that the patient answered back to the doctor, it's not going to work. So the doctor asked, why did you already try with Garif, or you don't have enough money? You seem to have it. He said, no, it's not the term, but it's not going to work. Why not, replied the doctor, because I am Gabriel. Gabriel used a mask, used makeup, and he was making everybody laugh around him while he was dying behind the mask. And it's so easy. And it's so often in our local churches that we feel that we need to wear masks on Sunday mornings. That we need to put a mask and wear makeup because we, we, we can't allow people to realize that we are feeling miserable. That even all the truths that we were just singing, which are amazing truths, and it's, uh, and it's the truth. God is with us when we are going through dark valleys. God will never forsake us. God will never let us apart. But sometimes we feel like God did Sometimes we don't feel like I, I will always be feeling in victory because God is with me. No, sometimes I feel totally defeated. And like God is walking with everybody else but me. But I cannot tell it. Because what people will be thinking about me. So my point this morning, my argument that I believe is what the book of Job is trying to allow us to see, is that sometimes... Only the eternal rest that God has promised to his people after this life will bring comfort to a true believer that is going through a lot of suffering. There are moments in our lives, there are moments in, in, in our path when nothing seems to bring us comfort. And that the only thing that we can think is, Lord, please take me away. Please come, but if you're not coming today, take me to your presence. I don't want to continue living like this, and I believe we have a problem as a church. Uh, maybe you don't, but I think this is a problem that I identify in my own local church. The problem is that as, as Job's friends, we tend to believe that it's grown to express what we truly feel in the midst of our afflictions. We tend to believe that it's better to wear a mask. It's better to say the proper answer. Like when people ask you, ah, well, I know you lost your father. How do you feel? Well, God's sovereign. So good. 
I heard that the doctor gave you a bad result in your test. How do you feel about it? I know I'm in God's hands, so he's my pastor, so I'm good. But how do you truly feel? I want, why don't you open your heart? And also, I think we have a problem in the church is that we don't want to deal with suffering people. We want to fix people quickly. We don't want to deal with the people that is crying and struggling and letting us know that they want to die sometimes. So let's see what can we get out of our text. So go back with me, please, to chapter 3. Um, and we are going to see three, three may, may, major points out of this text. Number one, every story has a beginning. Every story has a beginning. I love the way that this chapter 3 starts because say after this. You got it in your Bible? Don't take it for granted for me. Don't trust me. Go to your Bible. After this. And it's pretty easy because after this means that there is something before this. So after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. But the problem is that so frequently we tend to forget that every single story has a beginning. And in Job's case, the beginning is chapter 1 and 2. And if you haven't read it because of the sake of time, we, I, I cannot go through it, but I really encourage you to read it back at your house today. Because chapter 1 and 2 in the book of Job are two of the most difficult chapters in the entire Bible. Basically, what is happening is that, first of all, the devil is presenting before God. Um, basically, it's like accusing God, uh, telling God that nobody in the whole earth is honoring God. That will be like the, the way the devil is trying to present himself. But God says, have you noticed my servant Job? He's a man with integrity who fears God. So it's God himself speaking right about Job. Because maybe you can say, well, Juan is such a good man, he's faithful, but you don't really know me. But God, who knows everything, who knows the heart, is saying, he's faithful and he fears me. And later on the conversation in heaven, Satan basically is like telling God, well, yeah, he, he fears you. He, he lives in integrity, but you have blessed him so big. You have, wall, you have built up like a wall, defense wall around him, so I cannot touch him. But take away his belongings. Take away his wealthiness, and you will see how Job will curse you in your face. And in a moment that I, I, I still do not understand, and I will, I will stop trying to, God responds to Satan, go ahead, take everything away from Job. You can do it. The only thing is that you won't be able to kill him. I'm resuming the two chapters. And the devil left God's presence, and in one single day, Job lose everything. All his children die the same day. All his belongings are taken away in the same very day. And later, he will be suffering, struggling with sickness. Job, at the end, is sitting in the middle of ashes, the dust 
of what used to be his properties, scratching his back with a piece of roof. I don't understand that. But my point, or, or either the point of the text is that after this, so every story has a beginning. So please make sure that you know the whole picture, that you understand that you have clarity on the whole story before bringing counseling, before bringing judgment, before bringing rebuking, because those tears out of those eyes might have a reason to be there. We, we, we need to take time. We, we don't want people struggling in the church, and that's the reason we prevent people to open their mouths, like, I know, but you know, God's sovereign. Remember the truth. Remember what we were singing in the morning. Why are you crying? God is with you through the valley of death. Well, there is a story behind. Maybe the story is way worse than you were thinking. So please, brothers and sisters, let's take the time to hear the story behind the sadness. Let's take the time to hear the story behind that struggling brother or sister in our local churches. My second point, a bare heart. Chapter 3, verses 2 to, 20, to 25, basically what we are seeing is, is, is Job with a bare heart. It, it's, it's, it's an open heart, and basically we see two main things. Verse 3 through them, Job is cursing the day he was born. It's, it's all that he is doing through verse 3 to 10. Basically, it's cursing the day he was born. It's what, it's what the Bible says. Go with me. After this, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. That's what he did. He cursed the day of his birth. That's incredible. Brothers, there are moments when we wish we have not been born. There are moments when people are going out, and I'm speaking about true believers, that they are going through so much suffering that they come to a point that they say, if this is going to be my life, I wish I wasn't born at all. This is too much. I can't take it anymore. The, 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 the pain is so deep. That's what's happening here, and I want to remind you, because maybe you are, oh, Job, that's what's, that, that was bad. God say he was right. That's why we need to read chapter 42 before I start preaching. Because God say he's right. He's right. He's going for so much. He's suffering a lot. The later, oh, one of the things that I need to clarify is that Job Cursed the day of his birth, Job didn't curse God. Never in the whole book. Job never cursed God. He cursed the day of his birth. He is struggling. He wants to die, but he never cursed God. So Job, you wish to die, not commit suicide. That's the other thing that is very important here. He wished to die. That's the other part. He, he really is like, okay, God, but I wish I wasn't born at all, but that's not reality. I cannot change the past, but the present is something else. So please kill me. Take my life. He's not thinking about committing suicide because he could have done it, but in his understanding, he thought that death 
bring rest from suffering and adversities of life. That's the reason Job wants to die. Please go with me at the end of chapter 3 so we can have that very crystal clear. 26 says, I'm not at ease, nor I am and I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. To verse 21, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig it for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. So Job wants to die, and that's something that we, we need to understand. There are moments when, as Christians, we might have that same desire. Lord, I, I don't get it. This is, this is too much. I, I feel like I prefer to die, to keep going through this. But why? I'm not speaking uh, about any, any, any trouble, any issue that you may have in your life, as I, I will be telling later. But first, let me point out this, that Job is not the only character, is not the only man in the Bible who has expressed the same desire. You can point out and uh, in, your, in your house, look at all, but First Kings chapter 19, Elijah the prophet, he wants to die. He's after this battle with all these false prophets. He has been threatened by this evil queen and he wants to die. He's telling God, I want to die. Take me away. I don't want to continue living like this. I don't want to continue in this ministry. But also another prophet, Jeremiah, in chapter 20, Jeremiah is cursing the day he was born the same way Job did it, and he's wishing to die. But they are not the only ones. Moses, in the book of Numbers, when he realized the difficulty of the tasks he has been entrusted with the people of God, he says, if this is the way you are planning to treat me, kill me. This is too much. This is a so big burden for me to carry. So my point is that to express our true feelings in the midst of sorrows and troubles do not cause God to fear or to be angered on us. And let me, let me show, explain this. I am not speaking. I think the book is not speaking about that like you are complaining because you have the same food every day. It's not, oh, Lord, Chinese food again, kill me. No, I'm not speaking about that. I'm not speaking about that you are complaining because this party won the election. Oh, again, they're in the power. Oh, kill me, God. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not speaking about complaining because of the weather. I have complained a lot this week about the weather because I belong to the warm Caribbean. So I've been in misery, but, oh, Lord, this is so cold. Kill me. No, that, that will make God rebukes me. And if you find somebody complaining because of that, you should bring the word of God. Amen? I'm speaking about the true difficult issues in life. Things like Job. And I don't know, but maybe you have gone through that. Or maybe somebody here is going through that. But I'm speaking about the days that you wake up and you think that it's going to be another great day serving God. And everything is going to be okay. But when you go back to bed at night, you sit in your bed and you think like, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened today. 
And you think it's a bad dream. And if you are married, you ask your spouse, please pick me. I need to know that I'm awake. This could, I can't believe this happened. It's when you go to the doctor and you think it's just a regular test because you do one yearly and you are uh, texting your wife or texting your brother or whatever saying, I'm going to the doctor, I will be there 20 minutes or so I will meet you for coffee. But later you have to text your spouse say, bring me my suitcase, they are putting me in, checking me in. They say I'm really, really bad. It's when life hits you badly. When you feel like you, you cannot make it. Um, I went through a very deep depression last year. I couldn't preach for four Sundays. I was so depressed because something really bad happened in our family. And I couldn't make sense out of this. Lord, I don't get it. Why? Yes, I know the truth. I know he has good plans as we were singing. I was singing. But Lord, let me tell you. I still cannot understand what's the good of out of that. I still don't see it. I'm trusting. But I still don't see it. And when good people were telling me, I, I, I felt I was like a, in a dwell, 20 meters down. And people telling me, get out. Come on, you know the truth. How? I want to be out. I'm not enjoying the life in the dwell. But I cannot. And all those voices that have good intentions, you know what they were causing in my heart? Well, maybe. If that's the case, if all those truths should take me out of the dwell immediately, and you say that maybe I'm not believing it, maybe I'm not Christian at all. There are moments, difficult moments in life. Maybe you are one of those who have suffered it, or maybe you are one of those who have encountered people in the church who are going through those sufferings. Whatever the case, I think we need to understand how to deal with this in the church. So my next question would be, why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult for people to bear their hearts in the middle of the church? I, I, I will provide some, some ideas. One, I, I believe that we are afraid of what people might think about our spiritual life. I believe we wear makeup because we are afraid, okay, well, you know, I'm a pastor. I was the church planter of that church 14 years. Um, by God's grace, we are doing amazing things. Well, we are not doing. God is doing amazing things to us in that, in that place. We are running a seminary for free with 10,000 students. We are training pastors. And now I say I, I cannot preach. I, I, I don't have a strength to get off my bed. I don't want to eat. I want to sleep. I want to die. I don't want to continue. What are they going to think if I share this with them? What is your God, Juan? What is your trust? What is all your knowledge? I'm going to tell you, it was there. I know God was with me all day. 
but I didn't feel like it. Sometimes it's because we have a grown doctrinal understanding of on aspects of Christian life, of like joy. Sometimes we believe like joy is, is always being smiling. Like if you are crying, it's because there is a lack of joy in your heart. But not according to the Bible. There are moments when joy will look like and smiling and laughing and embracing, hugging people. But sometimes I can be crying, even though the joy of salvation is still in my heart. Let me, let, let me ensure you that we will see Elijah in heaven, but he wanted to die. Let me assure you that we will see Job's in heaven, but he wanted to die. Sometimes we, we believe that praising God is always raising arms and jump around. But sometimes be seated there crying, saying, you are God, you are in control, but I don't get it. That's praising God as well. Sometimes praising God is waking up and say, oh, another Sunday, let's go to church. But sometimes it's like, I don't want to go. I don't feel with the strength to go. I don't have the energy to answer back so many questions about my sad face today. Lord, help me. That's praising God as well. Other reasons is because we have well-meaning but misguided brethren, like Job's friend in the local church. Sometimes we have those friends. Sometimes we are those friends. So go back with me to chapter 2 of the book of Job, verse 11, because we, we need to understand this. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shusite, and so far, the Namatid. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. So the Bible is making something crystal. is that these three guys were not like Job's enemies who were always like jealous of Job's prosperity, who were always like, oh, this guy, I can't tolerate him. This guy thinks he's too much. No, they were friends. They were not three guys who took advantage. Oh, he's suffering. Love will show him. No. They were truly friends. They had good intentions. They hear the world. Job is going through so much struggles. And they decided to go together, leave their homes back, and travel to meet his friend. And sat there, and they have a purpose, according to the Bible, show sympathy and comfort Job. But at the end, what they did was totally the opposite. 
I can so rely with these guys. I think I have hurt so many people. Meaning well, but showing really at the end no sympathy. Because I, I, I didn't have like a category to deal with this situation in my sound theology. We are going to heaven. What else? You should be happy. Yes, I'm happy. I'm going to heaven. But I'm suffering at the same time. So some things that we, we might see from these guys, you can take an office if you want. Job 4, 1 through 6, and Job 5, 27, basically they are telling to Job, you should apply to you what you know. It's what the Eliphaz the Timonite is saying, that like you have told these things to other people. You have teach this truth, so why don't you apply to yourself everything you have been telling in the small groups? I've been seeing you posting things in Facebook and Instagram, all the social media. Well, why did you take that quote and apply it to yourself and stop crying, stop being such a baby? Don't you believe what you text? Don't you believe what you preached last week? We can't be those guys. Please don't do that. Let me tell you, there are moments when what people need is not more theology. It's compassion. Just compassion. Maybe just a hand in the back. And, and not even say, I know, because maybe you don't know. That's it. Job 5, 8 through 9. They tell him, if I were you, Job, if I, was, if I were in your position, I would bring my case before the Lord. Do you know what Eliphaz was telling Job at that moment? You should pray. It's a lack of prayer. Why don't you pray? Instead of being crying and complaining, why don't you go and pray? Because God will listen to your case. Because he will always uh, uh, take care of the innocent. He will bring blessings to your life. If you are innocent and you go before God, he will rebuke the devil. He will take care of everything. Your enemies will flee from you. Sometimes that's what God does. But in my own experience, in these almost 21 years walking with the Lord, it's not a lot. Yeah, sometimes I have been taking my prayers before the Lord, but the answer is no. That's it? No. And I know he has the power. For example, I, I have a very chronic condition in my lungs, which is always bringing troubles to my life. I've gone so far for four surgeries in my lungs. I know he can heal me. And almost every day I pray, Lord, you can heal me. I know he can heal me. But he decided, no. You will still be struggling to breathe. Very basic thing. I remember once I was very bad and I went to the doctor and turns out the doctor when he asked me, what do you do for a living? And a pastor. And he stopped everything. Oh, come on, you're a pastor. I went, yes. What are you doing here? Why don't you ask for new lungs? Lack of faith. Okay. Help me. No. 
Don't tell that. Might be the case. Might be that this brother, maybe he, he doesn't feel like with the strength to pray in that moment. But don't bring like, it's a lack of prayer. Job 5.17, they tell them, don't regard the discipline of God. Oh, that's the worst thing you can say to somebody that is going for struggles and it's not because he commits any sin. The Bible is pointing very crystal clear that Job was a man not without sin because all of us are sinners. But that suffering were not related with some specific sin committed by Job. Sometimes, and think about this, the book is difficult to read even though we know chapter 1 and 2. Everything know. Everything Job knew about his situation started in chapter 3. He had not a clue. He didn't hear the conversation in heaven. He, he couldn't know, oh, okay, okay, Satan went and God is using me, so later I will be okay. No. And even though, let me tell you this, because in, in Job 5, 18 through 26, Eliphaz is telling Job, God will bless you later. Let me tell you this. I'm pretty sure that even if God would have told him Job when he was going through all the suffering, but don't worry, chapter 42 is coming, and at the end I will bless you even more than before, I would answer with Job, thank you, but no thank you. Let my blessings like this. I don't need to increase my blessings. If this is the price, I don't want to pay it. Job didn't volunteer. And oftenly, people struggling bad in the church, they don't volunteer for that. They just went. They woke up and life changed. Their life has never been the same. Last, Job 6.14, sometimes we are just theologians with no compassion. Job is telling them, you know, once you show compassion for those suffering, but you, my friends, has bring no comfort to my life. So we, uh, we are running a seminary back in Colombia. I love theology. I love to teach theology. <clears throat> but sometimes we use the theology to hit people. Don't you remember this doctrine? Bam! That's not the way. Okay? So let's move <clears throat> because I have five minutes. To my last point, a greater rest. Job wants to die because, as we already say it, <clears throat> sorry. Job wants to die because in his understanding, death will bring rest. And that's a very common belief, even among the unbelievers. So I want to say, I, I will lower my tone because I, I want to be aware of some of you might have lost relatives who didn't believe in Christ, who were not Christians. But in Colombia, I, I don't know here, but in Colombia, when somebody dies, they always uh, post in the newspaper or when they send like invitations to the funeral and everything, like JJJ, JJJ, rested in the peace of God even though he was an unbeliever. The reality is that death will bring rest only for believers. So we need to address that. 
because that's a reality. For those who die without Christ, there is no rest. Suffering is just beginning. This was his better life. But Job wished to die in order to rest from all his troubles. However, this is my question. Death itself is a man's enemy. It's the first sentence for our sins, rebellions, and transgressions against God. So how then could the man find rest by leaving the world of the mortals? If death is our enemy, how could a man find comfort in the midst of his afflictions, no matter if this, the, the, their afflictions are smaller, equal, or bigger than Job's suffering, by dying? Well, there is an answer if you are a Christian, and if you are not an in this morning, I hope you can find comfort. If you go with me, please, with the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Chapter 14, verse 32, says like this. I, I would love you to read it so you can find comfort in this morning. It's, ah, I forgot the word in English. It's narrating, I think, or I just made out a word. <laughs> Gethsemane. That night, the night our, our Lord was betrayed and delivered to the Romans and to the Jews priests. And they went to a place, Mark 14, 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And if you go with me to Luke chapter 22, verses 41, it's the same, the, the same situation. Gethsemane, verse 41 says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, This is Jesus praying, Father, there is no other man who could say Father with more meaning. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. My dear brothers and sisters, if you are going through suffering, if you are struggling with this idea, I feel like I'm a bad Christian because I feel depressed. Maybe I'm not a bad Christian because I feel sad in the midst of situations. Maybe I'm not a good Christian because I don't have the trust to say, yes, I'm just in victory even though I cannot get off my bed. You have comfort in Jesus Christ. He's our high priest. That's the reason he came to earth. He came to live the life in our behalf. But he, he didn't just live in perfect obedience. He also identifies with our needs. That's what the book of Hebrews says. We have a priest who can understand us. And Jesus understands us when we are struggling. Jesus understands us when we are suffering because he suffered. This is Jesus. This is Jesus praying to the Father, Father, if you want, you can remove this cup from me. And Jesus, the Son of God, the God in the flesh, identifying and living like a man, is struggling. He's in agony. He's in sorrow. 
he feels he is dying. So when you feel like that, you can go to him and he won't be saying like, what are you talking about? I'm so sorry, I'm God, I, I, I don't get you. No, we have a priest. We have a God in heaven that when we are suffering, he says, I know. I got you. I know. He won't be angry at you. He won't be rebuking you. He won't be like, how come after all these years you're still? No, he said, I know. I know. By his obedience in Gethsemane, death is no longer a threat for us. That's why Job wanted to die and find comfort because he knew his Savior was in heaven. He knew his Savior will come and go to the cross on his behalf. So Job knew that when he departed this world, he would find rest. And also Jesus called those who are heavy laden, Matthew 11, to come to him because he will give them rest. And Hebrews chapter 4, the, the, the book is speaking about this idea and theology that is already but no yet. We keep struggling, suffering, but we are already in God's eternal rest. How can our hearts be comforted in the midst of this courage? Knowing that there will be a day in which we will enter into that promised rest. I cannot tell you this morning that your suffering will stop here. I cannot tell you this morning that all the troubles will go away in this side of the psalm. We will continue praying for that, but maybe you will be through that situation until your last day here. But there is a rest awaiting for you. There is a rest waiting for you. And Jesus will take care of you while the Bible do not minimize Job's pain, therefore does not minimize ours. However, it offers real hope and comfort in God's promised rest. So let allow that every afflicted soul here finds hope in that greater rest. Garif, the clown in the 17th century, he didn't have any hope in the midst of his affliction. But we have access to the throne of grace. Even when it seems like God abandoned you, even when the darkness seems to prevail, even when the pain intensifies every single day, even when, even when you have such a deep pain in your heart that even catch a breath seems like difficult, even when you don't understand what you are going through, even when the memories of what happened to you or to your family repeated constantly in your mind and looks like and feels like the very first time that it's happening, even when everything you want during the day is that night for comes, even what in night everything you want is for the light of the morning comes again and you can get off the bed, even when you have no strength to take another step, you can remember that Jesus is preparing heavenly abode for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You can remove your mask. You can take away your makeup. You can cry if needed. You can open and bear your heart before God and find comfort. May our local churches become a safe place, an oasis in the middle of this fallen desert. 
Let the church become a, play, a place where we can cry and where we can tell to our brothers and sisters, it's okay. Jesus got you. Amen. Thank you, brothers.